congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if Christians were limited to the use of one image in order to share their, their faith, to share what we are about, to share our most central message, the image of the cross would be almost universally selected. There are other ways to do it, but that would seem to be the one that we've landed on, and certainly for good reason. And so consider how many crosses you would even come into contact with in each one of your everyday experiences. Be that decorations within our homes, be that reference pages in our Bibles, in our days at Christian school, in just the number of different experiences of driving around and seeing a church on almost every corner and seeing there an image of the cross. And so throughout history, Christians have taken up this image. They've used it as a part of their prayer and worship. Banners with emblems of the cross led people into wars and crusades. Church architecture and decoration is dominated by that image. And it moves then to Christians. Christians wear crosses. Some even get tattoos of crosses. It is so ubiquitous, so everywhere present you start to wonder, why don't people see it? But maybe that's the reason. That they're always around that we no longer notice anymore. They're so often around that we don't stop to consider that which we are looking at. And it becomes problematic even as a world stops noticing them altogether and stops talking about the cross, even as Christians then stop talking about its central message, because after all, everybody sees it, and thus everybody should know about it. And so, yes, there are many who, outside of looking at the cross as some kind of brand logo, have no idea what that means. No idea of this thing that we celebrate. No idea of that which we hold dear. But there seem to be a lot of people inside the church who also live as though they do not understand its full meaning. What it is to lift high the cross. What it is to live in the shadow of the cross. To cling to the cross. To know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. We speak a game. We present a game. But is it really what we are? Is it really who we are? Is it truly central to us and to our mission? We get wrapped up in living a symbol or having those symbols, but we're not acquainted with the Savior, the one that sign is supposed to point to. And so as a kid, and yes, kids, I was a kid at one time. I remember we had family Christmas this weekend, and so I was thinking of Christmases here in February yet. And so I remember the first Christmas where my sister and I got our first, first boom boxes. And you can talk to your parents after church about what that is. But it was really awesome because it had bass boost, but it also had a cassette player. And so my parents, you can ask your parents what that is too, I guess, but, but they gave me then Michael W. Smith's Wayback Machine first album called Go West, Young Man. And I listened to that thing almost until that tape gave out because my parents didn't want me listening to radio without them listening with me. Anyway, long story short, there's a, a song on that album, on that tape, that's called Cross of Gold. And it's really dated. It's hard to listen to at this point. But the words have always served as a reminder to me of, of that switch that needs to continue to flip when we see it. 
or when we wear it or when we continue to seek to talk about it. It says, what's your line? Tell me why you wear your cross of gold. State of mind or does it find a way into your soul? Is it really there? Is that message truly central to you? And so are we looking at that sign this morning? Yes, in, in the wonder of hearing the story again. No differently than being so moved, yet every time we gather on Good Friday in the wonder of what our Savior has bore for us, all of that suffering, all of that grief, but also with deep thanks. Does it work in us thankfulness for what He has truly done for us? Do we remember the one who bore the wrath of God in punishment for all of our sins at a cross at Golgotha, at Calvary? Do we see the penalty and the understanding of sin and its brokenness there when we see a cross and see an empty cross because one isn't suffering for that anymore? And so for me, I might live out the life of that cross recognizing that there's no more sacrifice for it. Is that what we see? Because I urge you, brothers and sisters, if we stop considering the sign, we stop considering the Savior. If we stop considering the sign, we stop considering seeking to know more of the great love with which He has loved us on that tree. So I ask you today, does that message really find a way into your soul? Not just in a life or acknowledging what it is or being able to see it, but does it really change anything? Is it really all about that cross? A life lived in its shadow, more in its reality, even as we actively take up that cross then and follow him. And so the Christian needs to, but certainly does speak, a fulsome story of the cross which their Savior bore. And by extension then, what he calls us to bear, certainly not in the same way. But he's calling us then to the bearing of a cross. And so that story then is really in that way the central hinge, that part of the story of salvation, one that shares these then three very basic truths as you see in your bulletin today. Jesus was crucified, Jesus was dead, and Jesus was buried. If somebody's going to ask you, what does that cross mean? That's a great place to start. So that first place then that Jesus was crucified because Jesus must take up that cross. That's the intensity of our story. There is no other way than the way of that symbol, that sign, that understanding of what that all meant. And yet we find right away in the narrative, and I think the helpful part as we go through it, is the fact that Jesus in the flesh can't. He can't take up his cross. He can't bear the weight in his physical body of that which he has been called, even by way of his curse, even by way of his sentence, to ordinarily do. According to the strength of his flesh, he cannot carry that load. Not in a physical condition, wrecked with a lack of sleep, sorrow like none other, the mocking, the scourging, the beating. And yet it's a vital reminder at the start for us. That's the wonder of God's grace, even in the account. Even here as John Mark writes this out for us, what is that? That as we carry and as we share the story of the cross, we can't carry it physically apart from His help. In the life that we live, I can't live a life of cross in my own strength. 
but I also need him to carry all of that which is mine spiritually, every grief and the weight of every one of my sorrows. And so while in this moment we see physically he's not able to carry that, they must compel another, Simon, who was known at least for his sons in the early church, he is already now bearing the wrath of God for our sin completely accomplishing even in those steps the whole work of salvation, not needing us to bring anything for it. He will pay it all. And the manner with which he does that in the cross is the importance. In what we sang in Psalm 22 and what we look at at the Old Testament then becomes important in each of those steps as we talk about what it is for Jesus to be crucified. Because Jesus must take up that cross there, not in the governor's palace, not in the midst of the city of Jerusalem. He must take it up outside of the camp. He must take it up outside of the city in order to be truly cursed, to be truly crucified, to do that for us and for our salvation. And so all the while, here is Jesus walking those steps to the gate and now outside of the city, pointing us to the need of a better scapegoat who is Him, who will carry our sins actively outside of the camp to bear that curse in what is placed by the priest that God's people could be atoned for, that their guilt could be removed and sent away forever. It points there to the Lamb walking to the slaughter, a sacrifice of blood that those sins could be covered, washed, fully atoned for, that God's people could be made right with Him. You see, the cross has to speak of that curse. My curse, mine for my sin and my transgression, one that He must not only carry, but that He must become. It's not as though he's just taken a bag of curse, our curse with him. He's the curse. Every bit of his being. All of this now for us. One that he must carry again and become in the place and in the manner of his death. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes. And so it's Old Testament reality, yes. But again, it's assurance for you. You're not going to bear that burden he does. You don't shoulder that curse he does. By this death, I am convinced, I am assured that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. And so he takes every step willingly. He endures all willingly in full knowledge of the situation, in full knowledge of the demand, experiencing it all for us. And he doesn't dull it. He doesn't try to soft pedal it. Hey, you want a little sour wine mixed with myrrh? You want a little bit of something that cuts off the edge? A little bit of anesthetic? No. No, I will bear this for them. He does not seek to escape the pain of wrath or searing loss because Jesus must also take up that cross in the weight of all of our sin and enduring the shame. He is our curse. He is our shame. He takes all of it. And so we continue to see in the narrative 
again, in somewhat rapid-fire way in this accounting in Mark of what they'd done. They, they crucified him. Just a couple of words in the text. That's all it says. They already knew what was going on. They already knew what that was about. They had seen it. Thank the Lord that we've never seen it. They crucified him. They charged him. They criminalized him. They cursed him. They cursed all of his promises. Do you hear the edge in it even as you hear it? As you read it? Temple destroyer and builder, save yourself. Savior of others, save yourself. Christ of Israel, come down and we will believe. It's all curse. It's all shame. Meant to embarrass. Meant to mock. Meant to tear down. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 22. All who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. But why is this here? Why is this a part of the text? Why isn't it just enough that they, they crucified him other than the fact that, that the Psalms and the prophets speak of the mockery? You see, those who were there unwillingly mocking this don't understand that their mocking proves his claim true. Otherwise, there would be nothing to mock. There'd be nothing to dismiss. They wouldn't feel offended by anything. They certainly wouldn't be threatened by it. They provide the very context as well for why he must remain on the cross. That as he hears this mocking, as he endures that shame, all the while he is looking at a world that resounds with the same thing, saying, while they are yet sinners, I will shoulder curse for them. And I will bear suffering for them. And I will do that for each one of them by name. I will remain here. They are the context for which he must remain on the cross. More than that, he must not come down. And what blessing for us in knowing Christ, as the word says, in the fullness of his humanity and his divinity, that that would never happen. He would not come down. Impossible because of who he is, impossible because of why he had come, impossible because of what he had promised, impossible because of the great love with which he loved his chosen. Why was Jesus crucified? Because God's justice and truth require it. Those older versions demands it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. This is the only way. As we bear the story of that cross, that has to be the way. Not the cross in something else. Not the cross in the life of the world. Not the cross in whatever else you want to make it. This is the thing. This is the way. And there is no other. For it was the Father's will for our salvation. And so he endured it. It's the interesting part in the gospel accounts that there's really no other commentary. There's nothing else trying to unfold it for us or make it more real or more explainable. It's a list of events. 
and yet he endured all of that. Taking up our cross that we would be saved unto a life of following him with ours. A life of sacrifice. A life of thanksgiving for what has been given to us and afforded to us. And so our testimony then has to be much more than just an image or just having some around the house and certainly more than just the accounting of a historical event. No, it has to be the message of what took place and why it took place and how it could take place. A message of what he gave freely and willingly and wholly. A message that must be believed by faith. Not just held onto in your hand or worn around your neck. Believed. Wholly believed that this has been given for me. Believed by faith. Followed by a way of faith. As we follow one faithful even unto death. The cursed death of the cross. And that in the second place because Jesus was dead. And at the one point, you're like, well, right. That's what follows. Jesus must take up the cross as the means of his death. That speaks something. Again, significant in what it was, but in the way that he does it. Enduring it faithfully. Enduring great anguish over many hours. Suffering that sorrow alone in impenetrable darkness from the sixth hour through the ninth hour. Separated from the people, separated from the blessing of the Father according to the flesh. The reality is written out in every part of that story. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so far from the words of my groaning? Because this is the way. This is the only way. Because of what Paul makes very plain in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we would never be forsaken. That the light of that face would never be taken away from us. That we would never be separated from each other. That we would never be separated from him. And so by way of the cross, Jesus gives testimony, even before his death, of what that death accomplishes. It's why in the last moments, he's afforded that last drink. The cheap drink of the soldiers who would have been there witnessing his death. That even as those nearby hope, we hope that he speaks. We hope that he comes across calling for a rescue, calling out a recantation, calling it out that he would be revealed to be nothing more than a fraud, maybe a prophet. Here is one last temptation. A temptation to escape. Even in the midst of that which again, according to his promise and his person, an impossibility, here is the last shot. Escape your call. Call out for that end. Call out for mercy. Call out for rescue. But he will not, and he sees it all the way to the end, which is why we rejoice. Not in a crucifix, but in a cross. Not in one continually suffering, but in one who says it's over. Because he takes that last drink to cry out with a loud voice, it is finished. 
It's done. I've endured it all. I've done it all. I've kept it all. It is finished. That the way of his death now is not one of suffering. That's over. He says it's over. But instead, he breathes his last. He lays down his life. One not taken from him, not one mercifully mercifully ended, but one offered. There is will to the very end. That that is afforded to none of us. We'll take that last one when it is given, and praise the Lord for that. It will put an end to our sinning and an entrance to eternal life. But he gives. He lays it down. He offers it, given as a ransom for many. He has taken up that cross that he might die, and he does it. And you say, what kind of ridiculous sermon point is that? He was dead. It means he did all of it. That's the point of the cross. It has to serve in that way as a main point in the telling of the story of the cross. Why? Because I am condemned to die. And apart from one who dies for me and goes all the way to the end of it, I have no life. He died so that I won't. Not in the way that this world will die with no hope. No, that life will be taken from me and I will be taken into glory because he died. Because he did all of it for the weak, for the ungodly. For while we were still weak, still dead in trespasses and sins, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. That point, that reality, yes, crucifixion, yes, all of the rest, that he died. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it doesn't make the rest of it untrue, but it makes that basic point central. What is that cross about? In that way, kids keep saying it, Jesus died to save me from my sins. Say more, but don't say less. He dies on the cross so we can be justified by his blood. The wrath of God necessitating not only a cross, but the death of it. So that even in that passage in Romans 5, the central message of the cross is what? Not death, but love and life. It's love. And it's shown then in everything else that happens. The love of God in what that death accomplishes. Jesus' death on the cross was necessary to tear away a separation. In that sin and in that death, I can't come into the presence of my Father. I can't, not even through the blood of bulls and goats and rams. Even a high priest only to that presence once covered by blood. But now, gone. 
there is a separation that is torn. And now I have confidence, Hebrews 10, to enter the holy place through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true assurance of faith and hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In Christ, we have access I'm not dead anymore. I live and I come into the presence of a Father who will not forsake me through the grace of His Son, Jesus, that He has provided in His death. That by way of that death, He might bring me near in the very justification that that assures. A death on the cross necessary then to bear out a confession. He has died for me. Yes, for the sins of His chosen, but for me. Because the story of the cross also includes a centurion that would have been there from the beginning. From the centurion, or from the governor's palace all the way there. He heard it all. He saw it all. He experienced it all as a spectator, all of the darkness, all of the mockery, the process of dying a cursed death. And that in the same way that we've seen so many crosses, this is a way of death he would have seen before. That was his role there. I've already seen this. I've seen it countless times. Yet when he faced Jesus, he saw something different. He is the witness by way of his expertise, expert witness, for lack of a better term, of what goes down that day. He saw the way he died. He saw the way he breathed his last. This wasn't a hopeless death. This was a sacrificial gift. This was the laying down of an offering. Not a moment of defeat, a moment of triumph, which leads to confession. And that's the wonder of how Christ's work is done for us because we see something, a life that we've seen countless times, but now we see it new and something is different. And we see it in others, but now we see it in us. And it leads to confession. Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is the truth. I now have been given truth. A confession spoken, hear it, by a Gentile. Here is gospel spoken by a Gentile. This is the truth. And he now stands as a witness even this morning to the truth of what he's seen. A death that grants us access to a holy God, but also grants us the salvation to make a bold confession of faith in the complete person and work of the Savior. This is what it demands. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sin, but only a dying to sin and an entering into eternal life. But did you hear it? What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By his power, our old man is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule in us, but that instead we may offer ourselves. And that isn't just acts, that's confession. A confession 
a witness, a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. And so, Christian, is his death for you? And of course we say yes so quickly. Have you been brought into the presence of a holy God made right only in what Christ has done for you? And is that pouring out of you in confession? Yes, from your mouth, but also a life that is lived no longer dead. You're dead to sin. That is the only way you're still dead. But you're alive to God because of the death of his son. Believe what he has accomplished, what he's promised, what he's assured you. And give that testimony. Because as one then who has died with him, who now needs to be buried with him, we look ahead to the comfort of being raised in him as well. And that in the last place, why was he buried? It's kind of, I would say, one of the more weird questions in the catechism. Why was he buried? To testify that he really died. It seems almost an afterthought. But it's all it needs to say. This really happened for you. This is what he did all the way. His life ended in the way that it needed to for your salvation. But again, that starts now to change something, right? The reality of that death must bear out a response of life from his people. For we remember what he's done. Why does the creed add he descended into hell to assure me? And here's that life perspective again. During attacks of deepest dread and temptation, that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain and terror on the soul, of the soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as they looked at him that day, and as we consider him, What does the story of that cross, of his death, of his burial, move in us as we consider him? What what should the story of the cross look like, even as it is borne out here in this story, briefly, by those who love him? Did you see the groups that are listed? There in the distance were the women who loved and ministered to him throughout his life, who now serve as witnesses, but as those who even in his death will see that he is properly cared for and served. They will continue to follow him in the realities of his sacrifice and of the death that he has died for them. They don't understand it fully yet. Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. But in that moment, here is a love of the Savior. There in that evening, the brief time before Sabbath would begin, was Joseph of Arimathea, who now serves as one emboldened, as it says in our text, to show courage. That because of the death of Christ, now is awakened in him a faith to be able to claim him as his own. To go out and, yes, claim that corpse and say, I will bury him. But he's burying his own life because all the Jews know that he went to get him. And it's his tomb. And it's his life. And it's his claim. And I consider all of that rubbish for the sake of following Christ. Because I long for the kingdom. And so he will give his life there. But there is also the contrast between Pilate and the centurion. Because Pilate, who was once amazed, is now surprised. Asking what is truth at the beginning. Now, is it true? 
surprised that it's happened so quickly. And it leads to the centurion being able to give his first share of the truth that he's seen and heard. Here's the witness. And we don't know the rest. We don't hear about the centurion anymore. And we can split hairs in terms of, is this saving faith? And is he... A confession is given. And so our response, a right response to that which Christ has done is always required, even from us, in proclaiming and living the truth of the story of the cross. For Jesus in love was placed in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of it. It was made secure by a seal and by a guard. All of it testifying, it is finished. Every task of that life to work salvation was complete. He was faithful with it in life and in death that we provided a life and death comfort that we might be saved, even to death that we might love him and serve him and believe in him so that later we would rise with him in newness of life. So is that story ours? Are we sharing the story in fullness that Jesus was crucified, that he died, that he was buried. That truth must warrant, again, far more than just a recognition of the cross, though look, it's amazing when you start looking just to see how many there are around you. Or that next time you wear them as a necklace or as an earring, Think about this total Savior and the grace that He has provided in giving His life as the once-for-all atoning sacrifice for all of your sins. And when you speak that and live that, then make that story clear that the only way of access into the grace in which you now stand, that it makes clear Jesus is the only way, the cross is the only way, that He alone could do this for the complete forgiveness of all my sins. It's about the cross. It's about the great love of a Savior. And so then let us take up our crosses in thanks for every part of that suffering that He has endured for us. For every part of that work of redemption He has completed. That in seeing that symbol and taking it up in various ways, may we praise Him, making known all that fills our hearts and souls with gladness and grace. To him alone be the glory. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the truth of the story of the cross. And so, Father, may our speech of that vehicle, more than that, that symbol of what has been given for us, Lord, in our consideration of it, may it not be trite, might it certainly not be ignored. But, Father, may we live that life together in thanksgiving. Speaking of the wonder that he has taken our curse for us, that he has gone all the way to death, that he was buried, that he descended, Father, that we would never endure any of that which he has endured fully for us in our salvation. And so, Father, would you be here near us in these things? Would you hear our prayers in this way? And Lord, as we offer our gifts now for the work of the church and the work of the gospel, Father, would you bless each one? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.